Hey there, story fans. On our recent Watch episode, we were joined by independent screenwriter and film director Jason Johnson. After the show, we chatted with Jason about his journey to becoming a filmmaker, found out more about his body of work, and heard a pretty entertaining story about a time he worked on a Bollywood film. We're presenting that conversation here as a bonus episode. Before we begin, I want to let you know that Jason was in a co-working space when we recorded this, so sometimes you'll hear strange background noises when he speaks. All right, let's jump in. Jason, when you originally reached out to me, it sounded like you had a pretty interesting story. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you got to where you are now? I'm originally from the uh, Chicagoland area. I went to school at Eastern Illinois and did a undergrad in uh, radio, TV and film, which um, is not really a traditional film school. I, I guess uh, that program really prepares you to work like at the uh, nightly news. Mm. But, you know, it did have some perks where, you know, I was able to learn some camera angles and just, you know, get some hands-on experience. So after I finished at Eastern, I uh, followed a girl out to California, uh, as uh, probably a lot of guys do. And no, I'm not still in that relationship. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at the time, I, uh, she had a job and I didn't have a job. I remember just filling out resume after resume after resume for applications and just for, you know, opportunities. And I kind of lost count of how many I applied for. Uh, but there was one place that called me and it was a uh, Francis Coppola winery. And uh, they were looking for a wine steward. And I was just like, uh, I'll take the job, but I don't know anything <laughs> about wine. I don't think I've even drank wine at this point. And so they, they taught me how to be a wine steward and quickly learned that I was terrible at it, but <laughs> I had some creative ability and uh, that eventually helped me to transition over to their uh, creative marketing team. And from there, I kind of transitioned over into doing a little bit of film work and that gave me the confidence to kind of venture out and do the film thing after four years of, of working there. And I've, I've been kind of just learning and trying to just uh, figure it out as I've been going along ever since. What does a wine steward actually do? Uh, they're the persons that, you know, the, so you have like the, um, you have the menu, yeah. you know, you have like the, the white wine, the, the rosé, and then the, the big bold wines. Right. And, and the wine steward will tell you the, the notes uh, of, uh, uh, that you're smelling and tasting. Sort of walk and, you through the tasting then. Yeah, yeah. So, the steward but, for the, okay, yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's basically someone to talk to you while you get drunk. So. <laughs> I'm in the wrong business. Yeah, yeah. really. <laughs> That's what they're, they were, uh, people would always say, there's like, you have the best job ever. You just get to drink wine all day. And it's just like, people automatically assumed I was like this uh, raving alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned uh, when we first got in touch that your personal journey is one that's been marked with challenges. What were some of those challenges and how did you overcome those? And how do you think they've shaped your perspective as a filmmaker? Uh, yeah, great question. I've had a lot of challenges. Uh, you know, at times I've been homeless. You know, as a filmmaker, you, uh, there's no shortage of no's right. that you will get. And yeah, sure. uh, that could be really <laughs> frustrating and just downright depressing. Uh, but I guess I made up my mind that this is something that I really wanted to do and that, you know, I was going to follow through no matter what the consequences were. So whether I was homeless or, you know, uh, you know, had to kind of take a detour and work jobs that I didn't really want to, you know, I've just always believed that 
in some way it will kind of come full circle and I'll, I'll get an opportunity to follow my dreams and, and work in my dreams ultimately. So you talk about your dream of being a filmmaker and, and making movies. How did you originally develop that dream? So when I was a kid, uh, my mom would always watch like uh, one life to live. Mm, and, you know, one. we'd always <laughs> like end up talking about it. And you're know, like, she would always talk about the characters as like, if they were like our neighbors mm -hmm. or something. And uh, I don't know, it was just, it just, it was always really interesting to me how, you know, my mom was like so vested into these characters and just uh, how much joy it brought her. And I was just like, wow, that's really cool that she's just so into this and, uh, you know, it really makes her happy. So uh, me being a mama's boy, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to uh, give other people that feeling. So, you know, I think that's where the love really of filmmaking and just wanting to create something started. And then just kind of, it grew from soap operas to TV to film and so forth. It's really interesting how these stories and these characters can have a pretty profound effect on people's emotions and their lives and how we can get so entangled in fake people, right. <laughs> you know? And tell us a little bit more about your family growing up. Were they pretty creative or are you kind of the black sheep in that respect? Like they're very analytical and you're very creative, which I... Seems like that happens a lot. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would definitely say I'm the black sheep because, you know, my mom was a, uh, she was a, uh, an executive at AT&T. Oh, wow. My dad is a truck driver and my brother is a teacher. Uh, so I don't know really where I got my creativity. Um, I know that every Sunday we would be hauled off to church and, you know, it would last for like forever. So <laughs> what I did to pass the time was I would just, uh, I would draw on the back of the bulletin, you know, sheets and, you know, draw other people in the church. And then you know, I kind of make up scenes in my head and, and just kind of do anything to like not be in there at that moment. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where I, I guess I got my start in creativity because uh, before I even decided to make films, I was drawing comic books and, and then uh, eventually I started doing comic strips when I went to college. So to kind of help pay for some of my tuition. That's cool. Yeah. What was your comic strip about? Uh, really controversial because <laughs> I would always take like uh, issues that were kind of like hot button topics mm -hmm. in the day. So yeah. uh, I remember one was, uh, I'm probably dating myself, but at the time there was a uh, 1-800-COLLECT is, is so cheap. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, the school was not using that service and uh, they were using a competitor service. And, and I, I made a cartoon depicting Mr. T saying, you're better off using 1-800-COLLECT-FOOL or something like that. And then the, uh, the communication office, like, fact-checked my <laughs> comic strip. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, you know, this is kind of crazy that, you know, it, it uh, rubs such a nerve that, yeah. you know, they, they would do that. That's how you know you made it. Yeah. And from there on... Every comic that I did was either fact-checked or edited by the, <laughs> by the newspaper until they finally fired me. So. <laughs> Success! That's funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I lasted six or seven weeks, and then they, they gave me the boot. <laughs> uh, Jason, where do you typically find inspiration? I like to listen to people a lot. I live in the Bay Area, and, you know, um, there's, like, uh, no shortage of kind of like uh, interesting things happening on, you know, everywhere, you know, there's 
uh, people that talk to themselves. There's, you know, if you just sit and watch people on the street, then, you know, you may, you may see someone break into a car and take <laughs> things, or, uh, there may be an illegal sideshow. There's just, uh, there's just always something happening here. So I really like to just, uh, watch and, uh, listen to people because I, I think that's where you get the best dialogue. Mm. Uh, sometimes, you know, in a film, people will say, you know, I really like that your dialogue, where'd you get that? And, and I always get it from just like hearing the shit that people say on the street, you know, it's just right. like, it's so great. So I was just like, Oh, you know, I have to write that down. Or sometimes I even record it on my phone. It's just, uh, it's gold. And then it's probably a more natural sounding as well. Cause yeah, somebody totally. actually said those words. Yeah. What does your writing process look like? It's really, well, I don't know if my writing process is a good one to follow. Uh, <laughs> I usually uh, will start with like a character and I, I won't have an outline or anything, but I'll write a character and then, you know, I'll just have them go through kind of this world by themselves and just kind of adding characters and, and events around that person uh, until I have somewhat of a story. Uh, and then from there I edit it down and I try to jigsaw it into kind of a story structure. And generally that's how I, I get my first, uh, draft and, and it's terrible. I'll go back and, you know, edit it and, and then, uh, eventually I'll get to, you know, the, the next draft. Uh, and that's actually what I'm doing now for my project grip tape. I wrote about a character that, uh, is a Mexican American that is, uh, an illegal immigrant he has a daughter, you know, they're losing their benefits and, you know, try adding characters and events around that. And, and then, you know, I'll kind of shoehorn it into a story structure. So you mentioned Grip Tape. That's the one you're trying to get the funding for? Uh, no, I, I'm, uh, I have two other films that I've written. One's about counterfeit wine and then one's about a guy that falls asleep uh, and crashes into a tropical goldfish store. Weirdly specific. <laughs> yeah. Both of those sound amazing. Is that something you saw in the Bay Area? You know, no, like, I write a movie no. about this. The, the, the goldfish story. I, I had a goldfish that died and I just, it was terrible. So I, I wanted to write a story that kind of, you know, kind of had a memory to him. Uh, my goldfish's name was Roger. Uh, so the story is about a um, computer savant that uh, his girlfriend breaks up with him. So he goes to an all night hackathon. And although he does well, he falls asleep uh, on the way home, crashes into the goldfish store, and the judge gives him a 30-day sentence with a GPS-infused goldfish. He has to get from one side of the town to the other without the fish dying. And that's, that's just the, the general setup of the story. We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Along the way, you know, he finds, you know, he runs into a whole bunch of like... Uh, weird characters and uh, instances that try to separate him and the goldfish. This sounds oddly right up our alley. <laughs> this yeah. gets made, we're reviewing it. <laughs> Tell me more about the counterfeit wine. It's still wine though, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what's the problem? This is a thing that actually happens. It's people make fake expensive bottles of old wine and nobody ever opens them and tastes them. So they fill them with whatever. Yeah. It's like that episode of Northern Exposure where they have to recreate that really expensive wine. Am I the only one who watched that show? Never mind. I, well, that's also an episode of Black Books. I've seen both of those shows and not those episodes. So. <laughs> yeah, but if nobody ever opens the bottle, this sounds like a victimless crime. 
There's a, a documentary called Sour Grapes. And um, one of the Koch brothers got taken for counterfeit wine. And he was very pissed about it. And he raised a whole bunch of hell. And, and that was that was why um, this documentary was started, I guess. Uh, the, the guy that was counterfeiting all this wine eventually went to prison and that they've since come up with a figure that maybe 30% of all wine uh, produced is counterfeit. So it's kind of crazy. So you've talked a little bit about the stuff that you are working on. Tell us a bit about the things that you've already completed. Uh, so I've completed, um, what was it, eight short films now. And I would say that not really any of them are really related uh, as far as topics. I've, I've done one on... Um, a man becoming radicalized to becoming a Nazi. I did one, a mockumentary on the uh, exploding bird population in, in San Francisco. And now literally exploding or like now there are suddenly more birds? There's just suddenly more birds. Oh, and, okay. and uh, yeah. So. Now someone was feeding them pop rocks. You can't feed them pop rocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, did one on uh, suicide prevention, one on one called Thought, which is like a, a very... Not not a great word, but it's actually a love story. So, um, so yeah, so I guess I've been trying to tackle a lot of different topics and just kind of try my, you know, my hand in many different genres. I've also done a black exploitation film called Black Rogers. So, um, yeah, I've, I've tried to do a lot of different projects. Are any of these available online? Uh, yeah, I have most of them on my website. The last couple of projects, as the budgets have gotten bigger, you know, we started licensing music and uh, you can only keep those online for so long before you have to, you know, re-up with the uh, licensing fees. But uh, for the most part, yeah, some of my earlier works are online. That's cool to have that diverse portfolio and be able to try your hand at a bunch of different styles and genres and stories to really get a sense of what you like and not I don't know. It's nice to have that freedom that maybe you don't always get if you're working for a client or for a studio or whatever. You don't want to get pigeonholed too early. So, yeah, I, I really like comedies, but you know, it's, you know, I, everyone seems to get offended these days. So, <laughs> how uh, dare you say uh, that? Yeah. <laughs> but I guess I'm to the point where I don't care. So, I think I'm just going to just make the film that I want to make anyway. And, uh, when it offends, because I'm sure it will, I guess that's okay. So, you know. Well, along those lines, who do you trust to give you honest feedback? You know, that's a good question. I, I don't really have a lot of people to bounce ideas off of these days. Mm -hmm. And I find the people that are in my circle, they don't really tell me if, it, if it's, you know, oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great idea or it's a, <laughs> a horrible idea. Uh, recently, I just started uh, sending my films off to uh, critics uh, mm. so that I can get like an unbiased uh, review. That's smart. Yeah, that's what I did with my last film thought. And I, I want to say I sent it off to Film Courage, Film Threat, the independent critic, hoping that they would like just trash it. But, you know, I always got either three and a half stars or four stars almost with all the reviews. So. That's not terrible, though. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, so that's that's good, yeah. When I first started going to uh, film festivals and they would screen my film, I would physically have to leave the theater uh, because I was scared someone was just like, did you see this crap on screen? And it's just like, this is terrible. How, how did this get in there? And, uh, you know. And booing and throwing popcorn at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I've, I've kind of gotten over myself. So it's just like, you know, growing thicker skin. So I think you have to have that. 
what's the big project you're working on that takes up most of your time right now? So right now I'm just uh, editing grip tape. That's taking a long time because I, it forces me to read it out and to kind of rethink some of the dialogue and to look at things critically. So I found that for me, I, I wouldn't say this is for everybody, but I have to physically print it out, mm. get the highlighters and the you know colored markers and pens and go through the whole process of scratching stuff out and writing new notes and, and doing that. And, and that uh, has been taking a lot of time recently. When you're reading through and, you know, especially when it comes to dialogue, are you reading that out loud to yourself? For the first pass, no. I'm looking at what doesn't make sense and uh, looking for typos and just, you know, sentence structure, things like that. Sure. And I feel like I don't have to necessarily do that. But after I do that first pass, I read it again. And that's when I read it out loud. I feel like that really does make a difference. Mm -hmm. I I remember someone telling me that. (laughs) And I was just like, you're crazy. That doesn't make any sense. But, you know, then I did it and I was like, wow, that really makes a big difference. Yeah. It really does. Because yeah. in your head, <laughs> it sounds one way. And then when you actually read it out loud, you're like, that's not what people sound like. Yeah. It's like, oh, the man said that he. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> well, plus I've okay. seen where you can have something that's not worded. It's like worded in a way that doesn't really make sense. And if you just sort of read it in your mind, your brain is like, yeah, got it, whatever. And you sort of move past it. But reading it out loud forces you to say those words in that order and you go, oh, wait, no, that's not what I want there. Or that doesn't make sense. Or it's a, you know, a, a word salad. It's tough to, to say and or unclear to understand. So. Yeah, some I've, I've been around a, another filmmaker that he would read it out, but he would go a step further. He would like change his voice oh. for each of the characters. Mm, interesting. And I was like, oh, my God, he's he's really bon- he's bonkers. You know? <laughs> but I guess it's I guess it's a good uh, strategy because, you know, you can decipher for the males or females, et cetera. So yeah. sometimes. So when I was editing, I used to put it in a text to speech program and have the computer read it uh-huh. out. Because sometimes there would be mistakes or whatever that my brain would fix as I'm looking at the words. I'm not reading out the words that are on the page. I'm reading out the words that I think are there. And right. the computer has oh, no okay. such filter. It will just read what is literally there. And that's another oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Are there any books or writing frameworks that you've read that you use that you would recommend? Like Save the Cat um, or... Uh, when I first started writing, I, I read Save the Cat, and I thought that that was a really good structure, and I used that for the first couple of books. But recently, I've been using uh, Dan Harmon's uh, Story Circle. Uh-huh. I think that that is really effective as far as telling a, a good round story, and I like the beats in that better than Save the Cat. But, you know, I'm, I'm always learning, and, uh, you know, if there's a, a book out there that is uh, really useful, then... You know, I try to read it. I also want to say I, I read uh, Walter Murch's and a blink of an eye. I think that that really helped me as far as not only with editing, but just also with uh, how you perceive the story and, you know, making sure that you value the audience's time. I'm sure that we've all watched movies where, you know, you're just like, we just get to the point already. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just uh, all this exposition. So, you know, I, I want to try to always be respectful of the audience's time and, you know, because they're taking this, this uh, ride with you. I want to at least be an enjoyable one. This is exactly the kind of answer I was looking for. (laughs) I didn't know this book. So thank you. (laughs) It's it's a great book. Yeah. I I know about him because he edited a lot of Coppola's films and I actually got a chance to meet him. So then, you know, I did the fanboy thing and I went and I read his book and I was just like, Oh, okay. 
Are there any stories or passion project ideas that you haven't developed yet that are like sitting in the back of your mind that this is my one day or when I have my big break? Or do you just get them all out as soon as you think of them? No, I have some couple ideas. I have this comedy idea where a redneck hillbilly from like West Virginia uh, that makes Pruno uh, moves to Napa Valley and he makes like the best wine in Napa history. So <laughs> I haven't quite like reconciled the story yeah. yet, but I just thought that that would be an interesting concept where you have like this moonshiner that, you know, goes to highbrow Napa and, and now all of a sudden winning awards and yeah. stuff yeah. <laughs> and it's just like and the, and the elite can't stand it they're like oh right. how's he doing yeah <laughs> so that's an idea that i think would be interesting second picture the whole thing as you're describing it yeah <laughs> yeah it would be fantastic <laughs> maybe we'll have to have you back for another episode and we'll workshop that yeah, one right. out. <laughs> that'll be the pruno episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you want to talk about that we aren't asking you about is there something that you want to get out there how about if I ask you guys, what do you think about the writer's strike and uh, the viability of uh, Hollywood moving forward? I think it was overdue. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope that they got everything they wanted this time. In the previous writer's strike, whenever that one was that. Strikes, plural. Yeah. <laughs> the one that got us Dr. Horrible, whenever that was. Right. <laughs> 2009-ish. Yeah. So it failed. It failed, basically. And that mm. was my fear that would happen this time as well. And I heard that it went well. I don't know the details, uh, but I hope they got everything they asked for because it was not much. They're asking for so <laughs> little. Like, it's yeah. absurd. The whole, the whole studio system is bonkers. What I always remember in the movie State in Maine, they fire the writer and he goes to get on the train and leave and the director chases him down and says, you're why we're here. And that always stuck with me. It's so true. Like these movies don't exist without the writers. It all starts with the writers and the stories they create. And so it's crazy to me that we don't, we, the studios don't treat them with more respect and they seem not to understand. I think there's like this weird time that we're in where they're like, oh, well, AI can do all the work. It's like, but you understand that the AI has been trained on the work the writers right. have already done. And also, have you played with the AI? It's fucking awful. It's so dumb, the shit that it comes up with. Or like, it might have like the germ of an idea, but it can't write a good screenplay. In fact, I've heard some really funny stuff where people have had an AI write a screenplay and people have read out what it says. And it's just so stupid and clearly doesn't understand humanity. And But it's very <laughs> funny because it's so stupid. Yeah, not funny yeah. in a good way. Right. Right. Not funny in like a four quadrant we can make money on this way. I always think it's funny. Um, sometimes I'll watch like the AI generated commercials where they'll uh, use mid journey. Right. Uh, they'll use chat GPT to, to create the, the dialogue. And then there's some type of animation software. And I saw this pizza commercial that was just, it was so crazy. Yes. I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think AI definitely has some value as like an inspiration tool. Or yeah. like a yeah. way to kind of like get your creative juices flowing. Or if you're like stuck on something, it can like give you, it's, it's almost like having someone to talk to if you don't have someone to talk to. You can, you can kind of bounce some ideas off of it. But 
to get anything of quality from it, you have to put good ideas into it, mm. you know, for, in terms of the prompt. And even then, you're not guaranteed to get anything out of it that's usable. Yeah, totally. And it still requires somebody with that skill to craft the, a final product, a finished, polished product. So, Totally, yeah. I think another big thing that we learned from the writer's strike, uh, something we already knew but was reconfirmed, was that A24 is fantastic. Yes. Yeah, they are the best. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were the only ones allowed to continue to work through the writers and actors strike because that's just already what they did. <laughs> what they both wanted. Yeah. Everybody asked for stuff and A24 went, yeah, that sounds reasonable. Okay. <laughs> that's cool. Um, I want to say uh, there's a filmmaker out here, Jill Talbot, that did uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. I interviewed to be the... Uh, the Last Black location. Man. Location. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the location manager for the for the film, uh-huh. and I'm glad that I didn't get it because you know they had like crazy locations on oh, that project. Yeah. Mm. So it was it was really good. I you know I I think there's like a lot of movies that are being made here in the Bay Area that kind of bounce. They make them and they kind of bounce around the Bay Area and then mm. they don't really go national. I'd say that film, and then have you guys seen? Um, Sorry to bother you. Yes. Oh, so good. So I, I worked on that film too. Oh, cool. So, yeah, that was a fun project that I think had some really good success uh, based off of the budget. Because I, I want to say it was just three million dollar budget. Do you go out and encourage younger generations of filmmakers, or are you is there an outreach that you participate in, or something that you feel like more people should be aware of? No, that's just bringing in competition. <laughs> no, yeah. I was going to say younger, less less heard voices like we're in an era where we're trying to get more black voices women's voices out there and have them in the industry and have it kind of taken away from that white male patriarchy and is that something that you're out there participating in or want to or have projects that you want to promote or groups that you want to promote for that uh yeah so i i have um i spoke to a local college uh about filmmaking and took on some interns. I would like to do it more, but um, I feel like this this generation uh, or the upcoming generations aren't very easily impressed. Oh, so it's not like the 90s when somebody came in and I'm like, I'm an independent filmmaker. And you're like, gosh, I want that oh, job. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> That's a job I could do? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You mean I get to have coffee and cigarettes every day? Yeah. <laughs> For like one of the classes, they were like, this is Jason Johnson and he's an independent filmmaker. And I think I heard one of the kids say, so? it's the prevalence of the tools because every phone has a video camera on it now so everyone's an independent filmmaker right and with things like tiktok and youtube everybody has their stuff out there like everybody's got their reels out there yes which is great lower the barrier to entry i think that's wonderful yeah, they were they were not impressed. So I do want to give back. I, I do want to try to, uh, you know, help the younger generation get into this. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm always a giving person. I just I hope that maybe I'm better suited or in a different mm. space where, you know, they're I, I don't want to say the word respect or, or anything like that, but just maybe they're they're like, oh, that that's cool, actually. Instead of so, yeah, so that makes I, sense. I, I yeah, so I was like, "Wow, tough crowd." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to be a teacher, and I'll just tell you that's just how kids are now. I've got a question for you. 
Do you have any crazy set stories? Yes, uh, I have actually a lot of them, <laughs> but I'll tell you one. So I, I've worked on two Bollywood films. Oh, cool. And if you've never worked on a Bollywood film, then, well, maybe I shouldn't generalize it, but I'll say the ones that I worked on were very uh, disorganized <laughs> and they didn't want to take film permits for anything. So uh, one day uh, they wanted to film on the campus of Cal Berkeley. So I said, well, let's figure this out. And eventually we came to the idea that we'll all wear Cal Berkeley uh, shirts and kind of blend in as students. And the plan was working perfectly for like an hour and a half. And then they said that they wanted to film in a classroom. So I said, okay, so I'm going to go and try to open one of these classrooms. When I came to one door, it happened to be a professor's office. And she immediately said, security, security. So I freaked out and I just took off running. Oh, and no. there, there was uh, these security guards that were chasing me on a goat cart. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> Never oh run. Because then security guards see you as prey and chase instinctively. <laughs> <laughs> so there I like, I, I ran by my film crew that didn't even bother to stop. They just kind of looked at me go by. And then they just said, just keep going. And then I just, uh, I disappeared in Berkeley. And then my executive producer said, they don't want to arrest you. They just want to know what's going on. And, <laughs> and they're like, you need to come back. You know, otherwise we're going to get like kicked off the campus. And I'm like, are you sure? You know, and it was kind of like this hostage negotiation thing where <laughs> I finally agreed to come back and said, I, I wasn't trying to break in. I was just trying to find a, you know, a film location. And so, yeah, so that was, uh, that was an interesting experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm a kid from Chicago, right. and that's like the first thing to do is just run. So, <laughs> so. Well, Jason, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to chat with us. And it's really interesting talking to you and hearing your process and your stories. Where can our listeners find out about you and the projects that you have worked on and are working on? Uh, I don't have like a jasonjohnson.com. It's like one of those ghetto um, Weebly accounts. So... The best thing to do is just to Google me, uh, Jason Johnson, and Jason is spelled J-A-Y-S-O-N, Johnson. And uh, it should be the first page that comes up. Uh, You'll see a lot of my projects and uh, any press and just uh, what I'm doing next. So I I hope you'll come and visit. And and if you do come and visit, uh, please buy one of our Strike Five Films hats. That that helps the cause. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, best of luck getting your funding together and getting all of the films that you have in your head into reality. Yeah. Yep. Hey, thank you. 